morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Monday, May the 2nd, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Guinea's military government says its transition back to civilian rule will take more than three years. And the United Nations warns that Mali's new media restrictions reflect a growing intolerance toward freedom of the press in the region. There's a lot of self-censorship. Um, there's a lot of pressure. There have been a number of journalists, um, local, regional, international, um, who have come under pressure, uh, licenses revoked. Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo form a joint partnership to develop electric battery-powered vehicles, a new trade strategy, and the first of its kind in Africa. This is our opportunity. President Shisekedi is coming here. What we were trekking to Congo for is now maturing and we're signing agreements to exploit our common resource endowment. And it's been five years since Gambia's long-serving dictator Yaya Jame lost power in a democratic election. So what is the state of media freedom in the country? We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, the military junta in Guinea says that its transition back to civilian rule will take more than three years. Kano Mamadou Dumbaye is the head of the junta that took power in a coup last September. He told state television on Saturday that after political consultations, he was considering a transition of 39 months, the first time he has proposed the timeline. Anli said that this timeline is likely to upset ECOWAS, the West Africa's political bloc that has called for a swift return to constitutional order. Military leaders have snatched power in Mali, Burkina Faso and Guinea over the last two years. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights warns that Mali's new media restrictions reflect a growing intolerance toward freedom of the press in the region. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The government temporarily suspended the two international broadcasters on March 16th, accusing them of airing false allegations of human rights violations by the Malian army and Russian mercenaries. UN Human Rights Spokeswoman Ravina Shandasani says the current climate of fear in Mali is having a chilling effect on journalists and bloggers where there's a lot of self-censorship. Um, there's a lot of pressure. There have been a number of journalists, um, local, regional, international, um, who have come under pressure, uh, licenses revoked. Um, um, journalists are trying to avoid um, reporting on sensitive topics so that they don't fall, fall foul of the authorities. Shamdasani says UN human rights monitors continue to document allegations of serious violations of international human rights law and international humanitarian law in many parts of Mali. If anything, she says the prevailing situation in the country demands more, not less, scrutiny. However, she says... Mali is not the only country where attacks on freedom of expression and opinion are occurring with increasing frequency and intensity. Um, however, we are seeing a worrying trend um, in some of the other countries in, in West Africa as well. And uh, this applies not only to freedom of expression and then the work of journalists, but also civic space and civil society as a whole. Um, there appears to be a growing intolerance for dissent, unfortunately. She says journalists all over the world are under threat. Journalists increasingly are being discredited for their reporting, accused of bias or of spreading misinformation. 
Shamsasani says governments have many tools they can use to intimidate journalists and prevent the free flow of information. She says governments are increasingly using surveillance to monitor the work of journalists. She adds this makes it more difficult for them to protect their sources, to gather information, report on abuse, and bring perpetrators of crimes to account. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Debrek Africa continues. The Botswana Wildlife Producers Association, a group that focuses on the conservation and management of the country's wildlife, says that placing electronic tracking collars on big tusk elephants could help prevent indiscriminate hunts. The idea follows the recent killing of a so-called big tusker during a sanctioned hunt which sparked outrage among conservationists. From Habarone Mkodisi Dube has more. The association's chief executive, Isaac Theophilus, says while his organization is satisfied that the hunt of bull elephants is being handled properly, tracking some big tusk elephants could help. An electronic elephant collar helps keep track of the animal so that unsanctioned hunts of these animals for their tasks can be prevented. The hunt, from the point of view of the association, is that it was perfectly legal. We are happy with the size of the trophies that the trophy that was harvested, and we are glad we still have such uh, big tuskers. And going forward, the association would like to work hand in hand with the government to ensure that uh, we monitor, uh, we monitor elephant populations out there. Go out there, uh, call a few of the so-called big tuskers, and follow them to ensure that they are they are not harvested or anything like that. He contends the criticism of Botswana's decision to reintroduce hunting in 2019 is unjustified. The Southern African country recently opened its annual hunting season, which ends in September. The issue is that uh, it might have attracted uh, criticisms from certain quarters that do not value uh, the conservation efforts of our of Botswana. This particular hunt is a very good tasker. We should, as a country, be appreciative that uh, our conservation efforts are bearing fruit. We still have big elephants in the conservation, in the conservation areas, particularly in the concession areas and maybe within the parks where no hunting is where no hunting is done local professional hunter Randy Mutsumi says hunters always target old bulls with big tasks which is what their clients demand uh, mostly the hunters are looking for big bulls that are old and are no longer breeding but if uh, this natural death could have occurred who have benefited no one would have benefited it would just rot in the bush. But at least now the hunters have shot a big bull and um, it has fed uh, more than 700 people. Uh, there is money in the government coffers and uh, the community uh, got employed there. All of those people, they have gained only in one elephant, one big elephant that is no longer breeding. Conservationist Map Ives says shooting big elephants is what drives the hunting industry. It is truly an impressive elephant, and the hunting of large tusked elephants is very much at the core of what the hunting industry is selling to its uh, customer base 
in the United States of America particularly, but also Europe and South America and Australia. And that is what the professional hunting industry is all about, is to find the biggest, largest animal, because they have um, lists and books of records, and everybody wants to be in that book of records and publish a story about him. Among critics of the decision to gun down a big task elephant is British Conservative Party member of Parliament Roger Gale. He argues that Tories pay for photographic safaris to see the big taskers and is opposed to Bozona's decision to reintroduce trophy hunting. But Bozona government spokesperson William Sinsebeng says Gale seeks to undermine Bozona's pragmatic and sustainable conservation policy. While elephant populations are declining elsewhere on the continent, Botswana has seen its head grow to more than 130,000, while most it can support is estimated at 55,000. for VOA News, Haboroni. Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo are forming a new partnership to develop electric battery-powered vehicles, a new trade strategy and the first of its kind in Africa, the two are among the largest producers of copper in Africa and only say the deal would create jobs within the two nations. Zambian President Hagainde Hijirema has announced that Congolese President Felix Tsisekedi is expected in Zambia to sign deals, among them one that will result in manufacturing batteries for electric cars. Hichilema told the media that Zambia and the DRC will benefit from minerals which are mainly exported in raw form outside Africa, with China being the biggest importer. Take advantage of the electric vehicle industry. This is our opportunity. President Shisekedi is coming here. What we were trekking to Congo for is now maturing and we're signing agreements to exploit our common resource endowment to take advantage of the electric vehicle industry so we can earn more money. We want citizens to benefit from manganese. Last November, Hijirema traveled to Congo, where a stakeholders' roundtable took place to foster the development of a value chain for electric vehicles and renewable energy, such as batteries. If the deal goes through, Zambia and Congo could join China, which produces around 13 million electric car batteries, more than any nation in the world. Others are Germany, the United States and Japan, which import minerals from Africa for their advanced technologies. I'm Elias Limonia for VOA in Lusaka, Zambia. Debrek Africa continues. I'm Jackson Vungani. It has been five years since Gambia's long-serving dictator Yaya Jame lost power through a democratic election in which he lost and conceded, but eight days later retracted his concession while claiming that there was massive fraud in the elections. Jame had ruled Gambia for 22 years and had promised to rule for a billion years if, in his words, God willed. During his time as president, he was known for stifling dissent and clamping down on the media. The group Reporters Without Borders estimates that over 100 journalists were forced into exile. You know, um, during Jammeh's 22 years of uh, brutal dictatorship, there was a total disregard for freedom of uh, the media and uh, freedom of uh, expression. Most most of the journalists and um, human rights activists, including writers, were, you know, persecuted uh, uh, on those uh, draconian media laws. That is Sene Marena. 
He's the founding editor of Alcamba Times, a startup digital news platform targeting Gambians at home and in the diaspora. He was one of the journalists who managed to escape across the border to find safety in neighboring Senegal. At the time, it was also a temporary home to then-incoming President Adama Barrow, who was still mobilizing support from global and regional powers to intervene in the emergency in his country. When I first spoke to Marena, he was a journalist in crisis, reporting about a crisis. I reached him in Seattle, Washington, to catch up on the state of media freedom in Gambia a few months into Barrow's second term. There was a um, lot of bad media laws uh, during Jammeta. This laws still exist, but they are not been applicable like during the Jamme uh, era. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but the first time you and I spoke, you, you were in Banjul, and then a few months later when I called you, um, you were in Dakar. Can, can you remind me how you got to Dakar and what you were doing there? Yes, my story, like many other uh, journalists in the Gambia, is kind of similar. I was um, uh, persecuted by the Jammu regime for standing up against uh, uh, human rights abuses, against injustice in the Gambia. You remember INU spoke a couple of days, a month uh, before I flee into exile in Dakar. Uh, my reason of going into exile was that I was arrested and charged with um, uh, publication of false news. Uh, I auto a story uh, sometime in 2013, you know, where some members of the uh, diehard, diehard supporters of the former ruling party of uh, ex-president Ajame defected to the opposition United Democratic Party that was in power in 2017. So when I wrote that story, uh, the authorities in Banjul uh, claimed that my publication was false. So I was arbitrarily arrested by state agents, you know, uh, interrogated and, you know, tortured you know, before I was taken to the court to face the charges. So after 11 months um, going to face those criminal charges at the court, I was acquitted and discharged. That was unprecedented. I was the first Gambian journalist to be acquitted by Gambian court under Yaya Jammeh's brutal rule. Uh, but few, few, uh, 24 hours after my acquittal, I was. I got tip off that you know they are coming to uh, arrest me and to 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 bring another new indictments against me. So I decided to uh, flee for my own uh, security and personal safety to Dakar, where a lot of Gambians were also uh, uh, in exile, uh, including journalists, human rights activists, politicians, and lawyers. How would you characterize the state of uh, press freedom since Jamel left power? And what would you say are some of the most significant improvements in terms of uh, press freedom in the country? Yes, uh, there has been uh, significant uh, improvements in the uh, press freedom issues in the Gambia since the uh, fall of longtime ruler Yaya Jamme. Uh, since Jamme left in 2017, we have seen um, a lot of improvement, like uh, prolification of media houses. We have seen that a lot of media houses, digital media houses, you know, um, are, 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 are established throughout the country. Like a lot of people are venturing into media uh, because uh, that is one of the uh, that, that because that is one of the uh, key key demands of the electorate to have at least a free and plural uh, pluralized um, uh, media in the country. So since Jamel left, we have seen a lot of media ha- houses coming up, and this has helped 
you know, the country in terms of a democratic uh, gain. So basically, there has, lot of, there has been a lot of improvement in terms of media freedom, but there still remain um, a lot of work to be done. That was Sene Marena. I reached him in Seattle. And in related news, a Gambian man went on trial in Germany last week, accused of belonging to a death squad that assassinated opponents of former dictator Yaya Jame, including a journalist with Agence France Press, Deida Hadara. The suspect, identified by media as bylaw, is accused of crimes against humanity, murder, and attempted murder. On May 3rd, the world celebrates International Press Day in the Republic of the Congo, an association that advocates quality journalism called JEC, or Journalism and Ethics in the Congo, says that it will announce plans to train reporters and media practitioners. Rose Pioth has more from Brazzaville. Leaders of the GEC say their goal are to restore public confidence in media by providing training in accurate reporting and ethics. Arsène Severin Guela is the group's executive director. He says that the GEC is an organization which was created to restore the quality of work of journalists. He says that journalists must be based on the fundamentals to report, to investigate, to do a balanced job and disseminate news, all with full responsibility. He says the problems affecting journalism in the Congo include misinformation and the publication of rumors which exacerbate political tensions. He says that newspapers and media for years have been armed by various people who have come into the trade with no basic training. So, stories are written that are sometimes not very sharp or very fake. He says that, that experienced journalists can share their knowledge with journalist friends who want to stay in the profession, who want to work. And to achieve these objectives, the JEC intends to focus on training journalists. Alphonse Dongo is in charge of the training department within the group. He says the trainings needs of journalists in Congo are significant. He makes a distinction between two groups. The first are those who have undergone regular training at Mariangwabi University in Brazzaville. He says they are journalists on paper, some who have had no official contact with the media, who have had no practical training. He says that the second group are those who may not have had university training, but over time have become the leaders of major media houses, including television, but who have had no training in the ethics of professional journalists. Loïcia Martial is a correspondent with Radio France International and the French Press Agency. Ce métier est plus ou moins resté dans le désordre. He says that it's time to bring order to the profession. In the Congo, if not everywhere else, only one job, journalism, has wide appeal. It pays well, but without ethics, there's no dignity. He says he joined the JEC to restore and reframe the tarnished image of the profession. He says that the goal of the JEC is to revolutionize journalism in the Republic of Congo, 
and to defend journalists who follow the rules. For VOA Africa, I'm Jose Piot in Brazzaville. Tunisian President Kai Sayed has taken a number of measures since last July, including dissolving the parliament, dismissing the government, and most recently, the Supreme Judicial Council, and replacing most of the members of Tunisia's Electoral Committee. Reporter Angie Omar discussed Kayes Sayed's next move to completely grab power in Tunisia with Radawan Masmoud, the founder and president of the Center for the Study of Islamic and Democracy in Washington, D.C. He's also the editor-in-chief of the Center's quarterly publication, Muslim Democrat. Well, I think that uh, what's been uh, happening in Tunisia over the last nine months is a coup, but in slow motion. So rather than taking the, you know, breaking down the government and taking over everything in one shot, he's been doing it slowly every month. He takes control of uh, one aspect of the government or one branch of the government uh, or closes down one institution that used to be independent uh, of the executive branch. So it is now finally we can say that uh, basically he has taken over most of the uh, government, the the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the uh, judicial branch. And apparently his next move, he wants to appoint a committee to write a new constitution, uh, and he wants to do a referendum for the new constitution in July 25, but using the electoral committee that he just appointed, which is, of course, not independent, and uh, therefore the, the whole process is not being uh, free and fair uh, uh, elections and referendums. That was Radwan Masmoud, the founder and president of the Center for the Study of Islam and Democracy in Washington, D.C. He was speaking with reporter Angie Omar. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports and with that we go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sports in Kenya, where Marcel Jacobs will run his first 100 meters since winning the Olympic title at this week's Kipkino Classic, a World Athletics Continental Gold Tour event in Nairobi, Kenya. Meeting director Banabas Korea confirmed that the Olympic 100 meters champion will be up against the American Fred Keeley, his runner-up in Tokyo, and the Kenyan Ferdinand Omanyala. One of the top athletes that I've already confirmed for the event is the Olympic champion in 100 meters. None other than Lamont Marcel Chagos from Italy. He just confirmed uh, last night and we have already processed the visa and all the agreements that is required. Korea says Africa's only World Athletics Continental Tour gold label event has a lot to offer. You realize that most of the major events that our athletes have been participating uh, with either in Europe or in America or Asia. Um, for us to, to give an opportunity to upcoming athletes is to organize also international events in this country that we invite top athletes from other parts of the world to come to Kenya. In doing so, we give them opportunity to learn our culture, how we train. Well, some of them, they train mostly in Kenya. And now to rugby, where South Africa have been crowned champions of the 2022 Rugby Africa Women's Sevens, coming from behind to beat Madagascar 15-14 to in the test final this past weekend. South Africa, by that feat, qualified for the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, United Kingdom, and will be joined by finalist Madagascar at home in Cape Town for the Rugby World Cup Sevens. Uganda finished fourth after they were narrowly beaten by Tunisia 17 to 15. 
In other sports news, Tech Bowl's inclusion as a demonstration sport at the Accra 2023 African Games has been heralded as an important milestone by the International Federation of Tech Bowl. Organizers have approved a 23 sport program for the African Games next year with Tech Bowl, the sole demonstration sport. Tech Bowl was previously a demonstration sport at the 2019 African Beach Games in Cape Verde and is also due to feature as a demonstration sport at the 2023 African Beach Games in Tunisia. However, its presence at Africa's premier multi-sports event, which Ghana is staging for the first time next year, promises to offer greater exposure. And that's it on Daybreak African Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at beawarenews.com. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.